0: everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here today. We are talking to Lisa Strauss-Lorenz and we are going to be talking about, I don't even know how to say moving on and I don't, you know, that word is so hard for me when someone dies that you love that you're very close to, especially after a long illness. It's hard for me to say I've moved on, you know, like my mom, my mom, you know, I cared for her for five years. She died after a long battle of breast cancer. And have I moved on? I guess I've moved on or have I learned to live with it? And that's the thing, you know, I think, Lisa, it's so hard in today's world. For the first time, I think globally, we're starting to deal with this concept of grief. Yes and you know you're kind of an expert on grief i think i'm an expert on grief and i look forward to having you know a conversation with you because this is a really big topic
1: it is it is i'm a forced expert on grief let's put it that way let me start by saying that moving on just means that you are creating your new life it does not mean that you have forgotten the person that that person's not with you in your heart and that you have for- that you know, that there's nothing left. There is a lot left, okay? Um, The forced for me is that I have lived with death all my life, and here it is. My biological mother died when I was two. She was 26 years old, hit by a car, and she was pregnant, okay? So that already now changes your entire life, especially as a young child. When I was 30, my father went on vacation and died of a massive coronary. He was 57. My mom, because he remarried, so my mom, which was my adopted mom, died when I was 46, and she was 72, and I cared for her. So two early deaths, and without any kind of forewarning, she I cared for in a hospital for a long time until she died. And then my husband, who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, who died exactly 12 years ago on Saturday, um, and he went through 15 months of being very, very sick. So... um, yeah, I've lived with death a lot, and I've learned um, that death um, can change you. Obviously, changes your whole life, but also can make you. It can give you a different perspective. So let's start by saying that for me, growing up this way made me realize that life is very precious, and I think that people are finding that out now. They may not have taken realized that before, and maybe they took it for granted. But now they see that things can happen that you have no control over um, and that you never know. You never know. COVID is such a great example of this. You know, people of all ages, but obviously more of our older people. So, um, so many people are going through this and uh, trying to adjust their lives. Um and so, yeah, I believe I consider myself a bereavement specialist or bereavement counselor, because I have uh, I have interviewed a lot of people who have gone through death. And I'll mention my books later, their support books. But I've also been in a lot of bereavement groups and I've also talked with a lot of other people. Um, and I have various techniques of keeping those people alive within you and celebrating them the worst that you could do is to push them aside and to pretend either they didn't exist or not mention their names or not on a regular basis, keep them with you. When you do that, you have now suppressed all the feelings that you had for them. And it's 10 times worse for you as you try to live on. I wanna, I wanna quote something because it's a beautiful quote and it will really give a perspective on how I look at death um, and and living a new life. Um, It's in the back of the second support book that I wrote, which is pancreatic cancer families move on. And um, that book really is for people who are going through their next phase in life. Um, And those people actually talk about the different phases, the first year, the second year, etc. But in the back of the book, I want to read you something by this Rabbi Sylvan Caymans, It is just a beautiful quote, and I'm sure it will resonate with so many of the people who are listening to this. It says, at the rising of the sun and its setting, we will remember you. At the blowing of the wind and the chill of the winter, we will remember you. At the opening of the buds and the rebirth of spring, we will remember you. At the blueness of the skies and the warmth of summer, we will remember you. At the rustling of the leaves and the beauty of autumn, we will remember you. At the beginning of the year and when it ends, we will remember you. For as long as we live, because you are part of us, we will remember you. And that's the essence, that's the essence. Those people who are not here anymore, they're part of us. And if we continue to celebrate them, in many different ways. They will continue on with us and yes, it is painful to lose the people who we love and it's painful thinking about all that they have missed.
0: Lisa, I'm just going to stop you for a second here because now is a great time to thank our sponsor. And our sponsor today is Talkspace. So you're going to want to check them out at Talkspace.com or download the app and make sure you use the code COACHTALK and get $100 off your first month and show support for the show. That's Coach Talk and Talkspace.com. Now, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world right now. And we know that that can lead to depression, anxiety, or just really, really scary thoughts. And I know I have a problem turning them off sometimes. And it happens, especially in the middle of the night, I can't get back to sleep or I wake up in the morning with this feeling of dread. And I've never been more grateful to have a therapist who helps me navigate all these different feelings that come up. And it's amazing how much better things can feel when you have an unbiased, licensed professional there to Listen. Now, TalkSpace is the number one online therapy platform that has thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more. And you know what? Your therapist can even help you set and achieve your goals. And I really enjoy talking to my therapist, and she helps me a lot, giving me another perspective as a single mom. I also care for my 87 year old elderly father. So with everything going on, that's just sometimes too much for me. And for her to give me perspective and help me talk through things mean I'm a better mom to my two teenage boys, a better daughter to my dad who's in my house, and better to myself because I have to work full-time and support this family. So that's a lot of pressure on me. And what I like about Talkspace is that it has thousands of licensed therapists. It's secure and private. It uses the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, and it complies with the latest HIPAA regulations. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month at Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com or download the app, and make sure to use the code coach talk and get $100 off your first month and show your appreciation for the show. That's coach talk and talkspace.com. You'll be glad you did. Now we're talking to Lisa today about grief and she's going to
1: give us some choices. I feel like you have two choices in life. You either live your own life to the fullest or you continue to grieve and look backwards. And I've chosen the, the first because I know that we're here to live and that the people who loved us would want us to live fully. And that's not to say that I don't miss my husband. That's not to say I don't miss my parents who could be grandparents right now, You know all of that. But I think that there are ways of truly celebrating them. And I wanna make sure that I bring those ways in because I have found some beautiful, wonderful things to do with grief and with bereavement that becomes a part of you. Um, and they become my traditions. I've made traditions now. Um, and, and they're beautiful traditions. Are they the same as what I might have had? Of course not. And I would never compare them to what my life might have been had my mother lived, had my husband lived, had my father lived. And there's no comparison. But what you do with your life and what you do with death is you continue on in that cycle, because death is a part of life. And in our society, we don't do this really well. OK, um, but we need to do it better. Well, and we I think to. that's
0: what COVID has taught us, that we need to do these things better. You know, we have a very low um infant mortality in this country we have a you know exceptional health care you know in in you know kind of withstanding you know third world countries and different things that we have so we really haven't had to be um <laughs> This mindful, and I think as people move away, and, you know, I'm I'm lucky, Lisa, I grew up with the confluences of the two major religions, Judaism and Christianity, you know, I'm kind of the product in between there. And so I got to learn and experience a lot of both of those, you know, wonderful traditions and experiences and belief systems. And They teach us how to honor our dead. They teach us how to walk through these paths. But as we kind of move into this next generation of what I see of, of young people and of groups going, well, no religion's going to tell me what to do and I'm going to do my own thing. And this is, you know, that's all well and good, except... When it comes to especially the fundamental truth of death and the, the ritual of the funeral, the ritual of the, you know, putting the stones on the grave or, or, you know, however you do these things when you don't have any of that. And I saw this with my ex-husband and his new wife who are a self-proclaimed no belief system Well, their 21 year old son died in an alcohol related oh. crash. And it was terrible and horrifying, and but it really struck me, Lisa, that I had a protocol in place because of my Jewish and Christian experience that I could mix and match, (laughs) if you will, put them together, but there was some blueprint for me to have something to do. Well, if you don't have any sort of faith-based training, whatever your belief system is, where is your grief training for death?
1: Okay, so I'm going to tell you that it's not just only about faith, and I had some of those too. It's also the traditions that you create, okay? So my husband was very clear with me though he was raised in Catholicism and all, and I was raised in Judaism. We brought up our children and our whole community, everything around us with what i'll call humanistic kinds of philosophers ethical humanistic where you knew right from wrong you knew the rules of of really life Um, and he was very clear with me what he wanted Um, and we talked about it because that's Mm -hmm. another thing if we help people to die and we help people you know to do the things that they want And to even prepare, like people can write stories, people can write journals, people can go on trips together, people can do celebrations before they even die. There's a whole ritual that you can do. But my husband was very clear. He wanted to be cremated. That was his, you know, personal choice, um, choice, which is a choice. And we met at Syracuse University and we had a beautiful place up there called Chitnango Falls, Mm -hmm. gorgeous gorge, beautiful falls and stuff. And I took his ashes up there like he had requested, and we we went there so many times back in the seventies. Um, and that's where he laid. Um, mm-hmm. and that's where my dogs too. I I cremated my dogs, and I you know. But it was a ritual that right, it was your was ritual personal to me and something special. And what's interesting is that my book, the back of the book, has the picture mm-hmm. of my husband and I. In 1975, when we first were together. With bell bottoms. <laughs> yes, bell bottoms on that bridge. And on the same bridge in 2019 with my new significant other, who I'll be with for 10 years now. And to be in the same place, um, more than I could have ever dreamed, more than I could have ever wished, Mm-hmm. but I'll tell you what he said to me when he died. He said to me, promise you will not live alone the rest of your life. Yeah. What a beautiful gift to give me, okay? Yeah. So, you know, let's just talk about a few celebrations and a few ways of really keeping your your family, your friends, the people who now are no longer physically with you. There's an online memorial site that my daughter had found after a young friend of, his, of hers died. And that was a horrible tragedy, but it's the eternal portal. And it's a site that you can actually create an online memorial. I've had his for, you know, like a couple months after he died. And what I love about it is that you can actually go in, you can leave virtual flowers, virtual candles, which actually have a little flame. There's a journal that I can write in. There's a guest book that people can put in their memories. I have two albums in there, and there's music. You have music in there, so I feel like Isn't it's the beautiful. place to visit him. Now I understand people go to graves, and sure. that's fine if that's if, if that's, that's what thing. makes if that's their thing. That's right. Yeah. But this to me, to be able to have lots of people tell their stories about how they remember him and uh, how they affected, you know, their lives, how we affected their lives. What a wonderful. So that's just one thing. Um, Other things that I've done that really resonate with me on Saturday was the 12th year anniversary. And every year since he's died, I watch Ghost. Mm -hmm. That movie with Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore and Whoopi Goldberg. What a beautiful movie Mm -hmm. about your soul, about somebody's being. You know, um, just a beautiful movie. Um, that's a tradition. Okay. Yeah. And it happens that on his birthday, I still celebrate his birthday because that was the day he was born. I watch a movie that he loved called The Big Chill. Real 70s kind of movie. Yep. Yeah. We loved it. And I always watch it. And then on our anniversary, which was May, it's May 28th, Um, We had celebrated, we did an incredible 25th wedding anniversary, which I'm glad we remarried. Um, The last anniversary we celebrated together was when he was 30, uh, our 30th wedding anniversary, which, and then he died that year. Mm -hmm. Um, So I watched the 25th wedding anniversary video, lots of fun, lots of, you know, dancing and all those people around you. And we we redid our vows and stuff. So again. It doesn't make me sad as much as it makes me feel so grateful mm-hmm. that I had that time. And I focus on those things. I focus on the special memories I wear. I wear certain things. Um, people say to me, well, what do you do with the with the wedding ring? What do I do with my wedding ring? And I say, well, for a while, I just wore it around my neck. I just I didn't want to do anything else with it. I wore it around my neck. And then I went to the jeweler and I had had you know, people have ashes and all. And I had just a couple of ashes put into a dove. Um, Fred and I were into doves as peace symbols. And a dove was always on our solstice tree. That was our thing. And so I still have this dove. And what I did was I had the jeweler solder the wedding ring onto the dove as a beautiful piece, really unique. And I wore that for many, many years. Until Again, every there's no time frame here right. when somebody says it's two years, you're done, five years, what's the matter with you? There's no time frame we go, no time we time do came. this journey ourselves and it we, and it goes back and forth like this is the
0: one thing that I found there are, depending on what's going on in my life, Lisa, some things may be more affecting me than others like you know I got my divorce was final and my mother died three months later you know I was going through this terrible divorce while I'm caring for my mother and I know you know she stayed in hospice for much longer than normal and I know she was waiting till my divorce was final till she could Mm -hmm. finally let go and she knew I'd be okay and I'd be in my home with my you know infant and my toddler you know Mm -hmm. so many of these things Mm -hmm. happened at the same time well you know I had compounded grief, I had the loss of my mother, the loss of my home, I had the birth of an infant with some health issues, I had the death of my dog, you know, loss of my job, all of this wrapped in one little bubble. So for years later, and I'm talking five, six, seven years, if I was having a particularly tough time with my kids or a tough time caring for my dad, you know, I took him in after my mom died, and all of these things, it kept waffling back and forth. And when we look at like Elizabeth Kubler Ross's, you know, stages of grief, I think in her zeal to make it easy for us to understand, simplified it to the point where we think grief is supposed to follow this pattern, you know, because that's what I thought of. Like okay, I'm in the, I'm, I checked this box, I'm I'm in this one. And what I didn't realize, and I think you know, people who haven't experienced this, but their loved one is going through it is that grief is fluid grief comes and goes and it can be my mother's dead 10 years and yesterday was my birthday I had a good old cry that she wasn't there on my birthday could right. you claim I'm not over it after <laughs> 10 years or did I love my mother we had a wonderful relationship we talked every day until the day she died I miss that so yep. and yep. I will always miss that that's right Lisa, right. like, and that's it doesn't right. mean I can't love a new stepmother. It doesn't mean right. I can't love again. It Correct. just means that for this
1: present moment in time,
0: I feel sad.
1: Correct. Just Correct. That's and there's nothing just wrong that, with that. that simple. And there's, right. that's right. And there's nothing wrong with that. And you're absolutely right. The stages and the journey and the time frame. you know, it's so fluid. You're absolutely right. You know, the support book that I first wrote, I I said, Only after a couple months, I said, you know, this whole pancreatic cancer thing, um, I need to do something about it, because I knew nothing, and the diagnosis was horrible, and I said, I have to do something for other people, because of how horrible it was for me trying to figure out, I was running around trying to get information, and bringing him here and there, and whatever, Um, and so the first book that I wrote was Pancreatic Cancer, It's a Family Affair, and it was just trying to find families who were going through this at the same time. And I found 20 families, actually more than that on listserv, but only 21 do this. And I said to them, we're gonna write something. We're gonna talk about our stories and all the money that we make is gonna to go to Les Foundation because mm-hmm. here on Long Island, there's an organization where 100% of the money goes to research for a cure, for treatments and for early detection, 100%. Mm-hmm. Nothing goes to administrative costs. And I did that within a year and a half. It was self-published. All the stories were in there. All twenty wonderful human beings um, were part of it. And what? When did I publish it? Again, symbolism. September third, two thousand ten. Because September third, two thousand. Sorry, September third, nineteen seventy five is when Fred and I actually met each other. September third, nineteen seventy seven is when we got engaged. And September 3rd, 2010 is when I published it. And again, you feel like you want to bring together some remembrances, some symbolism. So that was published. And I decided after the 10 years, this book, I want to follow people. And and of course, we will all remain friends. What are they doing now? Right. What did they go through in the different stages? You know, the first year and the second year and the fifth year and the 10th year, where are we all? And 12 people out of the 20 people said that they would like to do to continue their stories. And by the way, that first book, there were four people who were actually survivors of the disease. And now I have one, one survivor left, which is still amazing. For still. That disease. So this book has 12 people who contribute, including my own children, one in the first one, one in the second one, and talk about their stories. And what's really nice about this is that we may have loving friends and loving relatives, but these people understand. They've been through it. They know what it feels like. And they support other people who are going through, and it doesn't have to be pancreatic cancer. We're all grieving in some way. We're all trying to make our way and create a new life. And though I say families move on, It just means that we're creating a new part of our lives, okay? It's the same book. It's our book of life, but it's a different chapter. It's our next chapter. And some of us are married now. And some of us, um, you know, went to school. And some of us moved. And some of us sold our homes. And I mean, there's so many things. Some of us became grandparents. So those are our stories. And the example for everyone is that we need to find our personal ways of creating that new life and and knowing that we deserve to live, that life does go on, and that life is just a part of, uh, you know, death is just a part of our lives. And that's it's as natural as can be. So if we can help people live their lives fully and die the way they'd like as best we can and support them and be there for them, and then carry on our lives, then we've done what we're meant to do. Right.
0: Right. And Uh, I think, you know, it's interesting that you talk about, you know, families and I come from a very big family. So it was interesting to watch how even the same children from the same two parents handled things so differently. You know, I remember that my mom's funeral, nobody wanted to sit next to the casket. So I sat next to the casket. And it was such a surreal feeling of going, wow, my mom's body is in this box. And, you know, in my head, I was talking to her, I'm like, Mom, can you get a load of this? Like, I'm looking at my sister, you know, Jill or Susan, and, you know, one is crying, one's sitting like a stone, you know, how my brothers reacted, like everybody had a completely different experience. Within the same confines of one pew, like, you know, just all sitting there, you know, it was so interesting to me and then how everybody grieved like for me I think I was the pre griever, you know, when my mom started to fail. That's when I felt it the most acutely because we talked every day and we had this, you know, here I am, you know, a a divorced mom with an infant and a toddler, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. on my own, you know, in California, she's in New York. So we would talk every day and she was a big part of my support. Well, when her health started to fail to the point where my dad could only hold the phone to her ear, that was when, like, I know this sounds weird, but my mom died at that point. That's when I hit the most grieving. I didn't grieve heavily when the day my mom died. The day my mom died, I just kind of sat there and I'm I'm no longer embarrassed. But at the time, I was embarrassed to say I was relieved because it had oh, been... Absolutely you know, Absolutely. months of waking up going, is today the day? Is today the day she's going to die? Like, is this? And I'd gotten myself into such a nervous snit, you know, not only being a nursing mom, but having another toddler Dude. going Dude. to court with all this stuff. Um, yeah. I was relieved when she died. Did that mean I wanted my mother to die? No. Of course. Of course. But if you say this to somebody who's never experienced it, they're horrified. They're like, what do you mean you were relieved? I was I was relieved that that process was over. I was relieved that my right. mother was no longer in pain. And selfishly, I was relieved I didn't have to wait any longer. Because even though you love this person, the waiting is excruciating. The Goodness. week I was waiting for my mother to die, we waited 10 days. How is she not drinking any water but still here? Like, And it was till my youngest brother arrived and then saw her that she felt that she yep. could... You know, exactly. and everybody's telling me that they're like, oh, as soon as your brother gets there, you know, your mom will pass on. But, you know, you're in this kind of weird, limbo that you're waiting for something awful that you can't control and so by the time my mom passed my point was that the the worst of my heavy grieving was over but yet my two sisters Jill and Susan all of a sudden they're falling apart and I wanted to go like where were you the last like eight months like what were you doing well a lot of my siblings were in denial my one brother thought four days before she passed, she was gonna rally. Like she was gonna somehow put this rally cap on, you know, like we're a baseball team and fight, you know, your way back. And I'm not mocking any of my yeah. siblings. I'm just trying to illustrate yeah. the 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 range of of grief that's going on and then everybody knew my mom was dying you know the signs were clear organs shutting down all this stuff because my two sisters and cousin who are nurses were giving us like the play-by-play blow like okay this is what's happening next because that's how they dealt with it they went into that medical mind um you know but the the point being is all of these people are experiencing the same event differently And that's true of the after process too. how people moved on, you know, some family members, they moved on right away. Some people, you know, they're just like, okay, it's done. It's over this, you know, blah, 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 blah. That's how they dealt with it. Not good or bad, you know, but then there was also the after effects of my dad going, we knew my mom was the identified patient. My dad, you know, had ulcers, was almost had a stroke, almost had a heart attack. You know, we're so focused on the dying person, you know, <laughs> we turn our head a little bit to see the person, you know, next to them and what their trauma is. So it's really a, it's such an amazing process mm-hmm. and it's, and it can enlighten you. It can open your mind. It can open your heart It can remove all doubt for me that there's an afterlife. My mom used to go in and out. And I don't know if you had this with your husband. There was times she was laying there. I couldn't feel a soul, a spirit, whatever you want to call it. There was nothing there. And then her eyes would open and it was like she was back. So I'm like, where are you going? Like, did you have those puzzling
1: moments when you're sitting with your husband? Like, because we don't know. The truth is we don't know. That's right, but they do say that they hear everything. And he had hospice at home. I mean, he definitely mm-hmm. wanted to die at home and he had hospice at home for a week. And we had already determined that there was nothing more they could do. Right. And uh, so I called hospice, but yeah, he was in and out as well. And that time is a very sacred time as well. Mm-hmm. People came to visit, we were watching videos, we were opening up albums, we were talking about different yep. times, very special sacred time. Um, and as I said, even during that time, If the person is coherent enough, you could write stuff down. I had a book called Remembering My Father, My Dad, and I gave one to each of my kids. And you're right, by the way, both children were very different in how they've acted and how they've moved on with their lives and, you know, and everything. I'm an only child. So when my father died, everything was on me. Mm. There was nothing else. And when my mom was sick, my new mom, um, everything was on me. Now, some people say that's good because you don't have to fight with anybody because people have disagreements, but everything was on me. All the there's decisions no good. that I made. There's no good. Like, no, there's you know, no you good. can
0: have lots of siblings, no siblings. You can have one that's a pain <laughs> in the ass. Yes. See, that'd yes. be great. Like, there's right. just nothing good about it, except... You get to this, and I use the word holy because I don't have another word for it. And I'm not saying it's holy by any religious standards, but there's like this holy, sacred space that you enter when you sit with someone who's dying because all of the artifice falls away. It doesn't matter what you're wearing, it doesn't matter what you had for lunch yesterday, it doesn't matter the fight you had. It's just this most elemental place. And if you can, like some of my siblings couldn't yeah. yeah, and some of my family members couldn't, and that's okay. Cause that's their path and that's their journey. Yes. Yes. But if you can just kind of lean into it, it's also I, at the risk of saying the most horrible experience in my life was also one of the most beautiful.
1: Yeah. You know, my mom was uh, seven months in a hospital and I kept trying. And that's a kind of a failed um, uh, bypass surgery. And they found other problems and all. And she never was able to leave. And seven months mm-hmm. of horrendous, one thing after the other, trying to get her out. And finally, it was really machines, to tell you the truth. Machines were keeping her alive. And at a certain point, and I knew she, you know, there was a DNR and everything else. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, no more. It's it's done. You know, she doesn't want to live this way anymore. There's no there's no hope. There's nothing else. And when I finally got permission to turn off the machines, I figured that's it. And the nurse had said to me, you know, people sometimes live on for a while longer. During that period of time, I sat with her and I talked about how she'd come into my life since I was four because my father remarried and that she was the only mother that I remembered. And what an unbelievable mother she was to me. And I was telling the story, you know, and the nurse was there at the same time listening to the story. And I felt like you like you said, it was a sacred time mm-hmm. between me and her. spend that time whatever she heard or didn't hear or whatever was functioning. I felt like that was my Well, and there's special that time with her. thing
0: like, that's the thing, like, it doesn't matter whether she you could prove she heard you or not. Right. Like, it's not about hearing, it's not right. about seeing, that's it's right. not about hand holding. Right. It's this communion of spirit, if you will, or communion yes. of energy, yes. Yes. you yes. know. That you just because you know, it was funny when my mom was dying, not funny, haha, but I said, Well, what did you do, mom, when you were when your mom was dying? Because it was before I was born, and she goes, I just sat there. She goes, There's nothing to do, and I couldn't. Like the doer in me couldn't figure out like what you weren't reading. You weren't (laughs) like, weren't you bored, you know, kind of things. And when it was my turn to sit with my mother, it was very interesting because I didn't want to read. I didn't want to look at a magazine. I didn't want to look at TV. I just wanted to be. And I think that was the thing, you know, we use that term about just be. Just yes. be with the person, yes. just That's be. Right. That's well, right. That doesn't mean anything until you understand what just be means. And if you sit there and just be, you can feel this like feeling come out of your chest. You know, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it came popped out of my heart, but this whole center chest area, like, and I'm drawing a circle between my yes. collarbones and my belly button. You just kind of breathe out through there. All this energy comes out through there and you connect with something. And I connected with my mom. And, you know, I'm not saying it's a psychic experience or any of the things you see on TV. It's just this profound, sacred place where you both just be.
1: And there's no words needed. That's true. That's true. So that celebration of life and then the celebration of that person. Is Mm -hmm. what continues, yes, and that from that poem never ends, Mm -hmm. it continues because we remember them, we celebrate them, they're part of us. And as we keep talking about them, like I talk about my husband who would have been their grandfather to my granddaughters, oh, they say, Grandpa Fred would have done this, or Grandpa, Mm -hmm. you know, and so and they're young, they're little kids, but they're hearing that. Right. And they should continue to hear that even though he's not here because he used to do those things or because he liked those things or because we did those things, all those things, keep him alive inside me. And again, I've celebrated his life in so many great ways and I feel like he's just there, there with yeah. me. Um
0: One of the great things that I did with my mom, you know, you talk about grandchildren. One of my biggest sadnesses with all of this, Lisa, was that my mom wouldn't be able to read my kids a bedtime story that they would remember. You know, my son was, my older son remembers her a little more than my younger son. My younger son, you know, he really has nothing but some wispy memory of him. My mom feeding him orange slices when he was really little. That's it. And some trains, you know, that they were playing trains at the table. That's the extent of his memory of her. But I had my mother read into my recorder uh, bedtime stories. So she ran the she read it to think what I saw on Mulberry Street, she read a bunch of Dr. Seuss she read the little train that could you know beloved stories and, you know. It's so weird when I read, you know, like, or not when I read, but when I played these for my kids, you know, as they were growing up, I would put the grandma CD in, well, here's grandma. And then just to have some fun, I put my uncle Steve, my aunt Sue, I put my dad, I had everybody read some of these just beloved children's books. It's so funny because the engineers in my family, the boys can't read and the girls are beautiful readers, but it's just a family CD. And then now it's on everybody's iPhones. That's it. beautiful you play this and they can hear grandma read to them and it's the weirdest thing Lisa because when one of these plays like I look around because I feel as if my mom is in the room and you know who knows it's her voice it's her energy it's that her is- spirit and yeah, yeah it's playing out the stereo but the kids will be like oh yeah grandma's reading me a story hmm.
1: how wonderful that's wonderful. That is a wonderful idea. So many things to do when people are alive, as I said, yeah. you know, that people don't really think about, but you need to, you people did. are so afraid of dying that they don't think about preserving their life yeah. and celebrating their lives. First of all, don't keep putting off things. <laughs> I'm big but, on that. You know, people keep saying, oh, I'll do that when I retire. I'll do that when I, you know, don't do that that's not a good idea. No. Um but really celebrating your life and and your happiness and the things that are important to you, doing all those things and making sure like I've already started writing a book for my grandchildren. <laughs> my Wonderful. grandma remembers and I love it. And and my granddaughter who's 8 takes down we do questions. And so she writes in You know, she says, how did you meet Grandpa Fred? And what did you do? And, you know, and she's writing stuff. Now I'm writing my own thing too, but it's lovely to have her write. And she loves asking questions. And it's a great thing for her and I to do together really nice. And it again, is. you know, a celebration, because that's what it really is. You know, and as I said, time frames are very different from different people. You know, some of the people in my book started dating very quickly. Um, you know, I wasn't comfortable with it for two years. However, you know, you can become part of different, different groups. Now I support groups, but activity mm-hmm. groups where, you know, look, you had a lot of friends who are couples. Well, now you're friends who are maybe single people. Yep. And you have a whole bunch of different activities that you do that maybe you didn't do before. But you start expanding your network and the people who are around you, and you grow. You grow in many different ways if you're open to it. Right. If you know, you're because change, change is hard for people, and I understand that. Sure. Change is very hard, and this sometimes is a forced change. But we need to start thinking and accepting that this is really part of life. Well, and I think
0: that's the difference between like country mouse and city mouse, you know, I was raised in the country and, you know, yes, you know, they do kill the animals to eat them. And, you know, I think, you know, and not knowing where our meat comes from, you know, if you eat meat or not knowing where stuff is sourced, I think insulates us from some of the harsher realities of life. And, you know. One of the things I'm going to say may or may not make me popular, but for some people, the death of a pet is as profound as the death of a child. And I didn't believe this till I actually saw it. I had a friend who had her cat for 21 years. So that's like, oh my God, this cat's still alive. Your cat finally passed away. Like, holy cow. But that was this, my friend's constant companion for 21 years. And she was a very quiet person. She was a librarian. She liked to read. She spent a lot of time alone with her cat. So she never married. And when I would talk to her about grieving and you know she would talk to me about losing my mother and Janet would help talking about you know my friend who lost her son when he was four due to pediatric brain cancer Mm -hmm. so we would have this conversation and I'm like it doesn't matter what you lost it doesn't matter who you lost maybe Lisa you didn't get along with your mother and you don't really it didn't affect you that much when your mother died but you know it affected Me and then I don't even have a cat. I have dogs. I'm allergic to cats, but that cat was as important to her. So I think it's hard to understand unless you've seen it. But if someone's dog dies and they're profoundly sad, It's how that person related to the animal or the person. So you can't say a person is more important than an animal or an animal is more important to a person. You've got to look at that person and go, what was important to them?
1: It was the meaning of that person in their lives or their animal. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And the death of a pet is probably the first thing that they experienced. My, My parakeet died when I was like 16, I think. And that was like my first... You know, actually my grandmother died before that, but I was just thinking about this pet because you brought up pets. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, my grandmother died when I was 12 and that was, you know, really, and being in a limo and all that other stuff. Um, but the pet was this personal thing yes, that connection. was, you know, in my home, in my, you know, day to day and, you know, taking care of it and all that stuff. That's yeah. Yeah, yes. absolutely. It's and different. honestly, People should stop judging everything. Well, that, we, absolutely. We, all have to, we all have to figure it out. We all have to live the best lives that we can. We're all entitled to our happiness. We're all entitled to our feelings. There are no good feelings, bad feelings, so long as it's not hurting somebody else. Uh, you know. And again, our society needs to do a little better job of celebrating our lives, helping people to die in the way that they'd like. And, and then, you know, and supporting to people and through
0: the Correct. next phase, you know, because that's, that's the thing that I found really lacking um, when Janet's son, Jack, died. And we formed a childhood cancer talk radio mm. and a childhood cancer uh, pediatric Jack's Angels Foundation to raise money for research. And we put a lot of energy, grief energy into that. But the one thing that I found is that we're really lacking in the society in basic grief education, like grief 101, yes. um, but also yes. to to how to honor. Um, and I saw this, Lisa, with my military mom talk radio show um, that's been on the air for 16 years. One of the things that we did a show on, what do you do with cremains? You know, do you scatter them? do you put them in a jar? Do you divide them up? You know, and this brings me to a funny story of my friend, Mary Lee, her husband died of brain cancer, and they were only in their 20s. And we were in my living room and the ashes come home. And we're sitting on my kitchen table. And we're dividing Eric up in little jars, because she wanted to give one to his biological mother one to his stepmother one to his grandmother you know and so she got all these little pretty jars and then she and eric had planned in their life to travel so she got these little tiny jars and we're putting little bits of eric in so that she could travel with this teeny little jar that just looks like a essential oil vial and she could sprinkle them at the Louvre, and she could sprinkle them yes. at the you know the yes. parthenon the places that they wanted to go beautiful beautiful story until we knocked him over and oh. Now you go, Oh no, do we vacuum him? Do we sweep him up? And, you know, we swept up what we could and got most of Eric back in the jar. And then we started to laugh going like, this is just insane. You know, that we, you know, yes, we can, you know, vacuum up the ashes. We would think nothing if we trimmed his hair and there was a little chair, you know, hair on the floor and, you know, And that got me to thinking about like, how do we honor Eric and how do we honor cremains? And I know you can make them into jewelry, you know, you can do all sorts of things. One of my friends took some ashes and had them paid to be buried in the, um, sunk in a like brick a cement out to make some reef off the coast of Florida. You know, they're making some natural reef with the cremains and, you know, people are doing all sorts of creative, cool things, you know, like you're did, you know, at Chittenango falls versus my Lake was Canandaigua. That's where I want my ashes to go. Like, you know, all these cool things, but those things are precious. They are. And, you know, one of the things that I do in my house, Lisa, because we celebrate both, you know, at holiday time at, you know, Christmas and Hanukkah, I have these stockings made for each one of my dogs. I've had like nine dogs in my life. And when my second or third dog died, I was so brokenhearted. I'm like, I don't want to forget these. So I get my pottery barn catalog out and I made a smoky and misty stocking just a little teeny one maybe six inches but it's monogrammed with their name on it like you get for like a baby or something well then 10 years go by and then we add bailey sophie and <laughs> you yes. know and then we add nugget and sally and I have a long stairway and I put some lights around and I put some greens around It's Southern California. So we're not that green, but I hang the the stockings up and my kids call it the dead dog wall. <laughs> <laughs> Cause to them, it's just a bunch of dead dogs. And, but I look at it and enough time has passed that I can look at it fondly. You know, when, it, when one first dies and I get their stocking made, you know, I have a good cry and I hang it up and I feel really sad But I love to have those memories because that's where I kind of miss the most. And then they call them the dead ornaments. They're like mom's dead ornaments, because I'll take my favorite picture of my mom or my grandma or the people that are important to me. And I go to like Michael's, they don't support today's show, but they sell those little picture frames. Like they might be a snowflake and they can be green or red or blue or white, whatever you want. So whenever I have someone that I really care about pass, I find my favorite picture of them that's meaningful to me. And I turn them into a little ornament. So when I hang them on my tree and they could be next to my, you know, BC fairies ornament, like why we would put ornaments on trees that are meaningful. Our kids make them, but it's somehow weird for me to put my dead mom on the tree. Like
1: she would love it. Absolutely. I I know the time. I know. And I know the time is short. And I just want to say again, how important it is to find the celebrations, things that are meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. I want to give the website that I have for this book. Sure. And I also want to say that my colleague and I have started a podcast on YouTube. So the, the book is www.familiesmoveon.com. Okay. And all the proceeds go to, um, go to the Les Foundation. Also, this podcast called The Sands of Time is about the end of life journey and beyond. And she covers all end of life things because she's an end of life doula, and I cover the bereavement part and grieving and moving on. So the podcast will be about every other week, and it'll be in YouTube, and I'll put out all kinds of things on a channel so that um, people can see it. But the discussions between us are all about stages and and different things that you can do. She has a whole toolkit of like a hundred things, hundred ideas, and all, and and as I do different ideas that really help people again embrace life embrace death and embrace what the meaning of our lives are and remembering people so um you know i appreciate this very very much it's really nice to talk to you about this and and i hope that a lot of people feel comforted and feel inspired to find what means something to them and helps them with their lives and grieving is a part of our lives a rabbi once said to me that if you didn't grieve then how did you feel about that person right so Grieving is okay.
0: It is okay. And it takes many forms. It looks, it's as varied as we have people and beliefs. And... You're not the first one. That's what I found when I started looking and going, oh, I'm not the first one to lose my mother. Janet's like, oh, I'm not the first one to lose my child. There are people who have walked this path before us. And that's why we do these podcasts. That's why we talk about these things. And we bring light onto a subject that everyone's going to face
1: at some point. Yes, they're lucky if they haven't so far.
0: Right. Absolutely. You know? But Absolutely. they will, and they need
1: to be, and they need to embrace it. Absolutely. And, so go ahead and give me that website again. So it's www.familiesmoveon.com. And I also happen to have a Facebook page that's Pancreatic Cancer. It's a family affair. And that started with my first book. So there are hundreds of people on there that talk in terms of um, pancreatic cancer and things that they've had. But the podcast will be The Sands of Time. And it will be the end-of-life journey and beyond. And we'll start putting in different topics. There's different stages, the different ideas, different tools, and really help people discuss this fully and, and embrace it. And Terrific.
0: Embrace it. And Lisa's name, so that you guys know, it's a tough one <laughs> to spell. It's S T R H S. Dash L O R E N C. But if you just look up familiesmoveon.com, it'll come up and you'll be able to find it. So thank yeah. you, Lisa, for being my guest today. I'm sure I'm going to have you back in the future. We'll be back again next week with another great show. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques. Uncoach coach